G'day, I'm Darren Oki. I'm Simon West. Welcome to the Aussie Wine Chat podcast series where we talk global distribution and sales with an Aussie perspective. And an Aussie accent. G'day, Darren. G'day, Simon. How are you today? I'm very good. We've got a fairly full week this this week with a couple of other podcasts as well. Yeah, we we seem to be going to Europe this week. So the first of the first of our European guests and a real regular and favourite of ours, uh, Amber Labau um, from London these days. So we're going to talk to her about uh, about being a Yank in London and what's changed in the wine trade. I hope you don't mind me calling you a Yank, Amber. If you do, I'll never ever do it again. Um, <laughs> The, the well, <laughs> honest, I promise. Um, we'll also talk to her about her website, um, virtual wine events, and figure out, learn a little bit about what's happening in the world of virtual wine events. And, and being the entrepreneur she is, um, we'll also talk about a new venture, which I'm enjoying enormously, Alavage Wine Coaching. G'day, Amber. Hello, how are you guys doing? Very good. Doing well. Yeah, doing well. Now tell us, you've, you were just telling us that you've endured, um, you're enduring the English weather and you've been enduring it in COVID lockdown. So that um, is kind of two from two uh, from getting the bad end of the stick there. Tell us, <laughs> tell us what it's like in London now as things change and, and the wine world gets its feet wet and Wellington's on and goes out and starts doing things. Yeah, I mean... Bring on springtime, definitely I'm in the sunshine. Though I have to admit the weather in London is not that uh, far off from the weather I was used to in Seattle, Washington, in the U.S. You know, especially wintertime, gray, rainy, dreary. And when spring comes, it's just like everybody's out. You know, it does it, it's 10 degrees Celsius. You're still out there in shorts if you want, just, just to get some sun with that. So I've been craving that. And it's been kind of nice uh, as, as lockdown restrictions have now pretty much passed. Everybody is still holding their breath, though, of, another variant going to come is we're going to get another wave but we're tiptoeing out into returning a little bit to normal life you know the pubs are full and i I think the six nations uh rugby tournament's going on because i've got a pub near the street that i hear cheers regularly at um so it's it's been nice again just baby steps fingers crossed restrictions aren't that bad there at the moment is that is that what you're saying amber yeah, the restrictions have pretty much been lifted. Um, you know, you don't need to wear a mask everywhere. Even on public transport now, you don't have to wear masks. You know, if you feel, if you want to, like my wife and I, we still wear a mask when we go on public transport. Mm. Um, doesn't seem to be any restrictions on opening with businesses on it. Yeah, I think I think uh, wearing a mask in public transport at the best of times is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and, and then the wine trade, in-person trade events have definitely been opening back up. You're, I'm getting invitations every week in the mailbox about a new trade event going on. So that's a, that's a good segue into um, trade, like virtual trade events. You've seen a bit of a, d- a drop-off of those, you said, um, as people start to attend these these real trade events again. Yeah, I mean, definitely. And, and you could tell there was a kind of a tension with wanting to get back to the in-person trade. And, and it'll be interesting to see how things continue to play out. Um, on the website, virtualwineevents.com, definitely have seen a shift in less consumer focused virtual events like you know, restaurants and retailers hosting them to now more education focused. And a lot of trade bodies are still doing virtual events. I mean, wine Australia is excellent with it. New Zealand wine growers, uh, wines of Chile is doing a big series of events focused on the U S recently that I've seen pop up. 
Um, but we've been seeing, you know, on the site, like during the peak 2020, you know, we were having over a thousand events a month posted. You know, 2021, it kind of dipped to more like 500 to 600. Now we're around like 200 or so events a month posted. Do you think, uh, I'm just curious um, as we talk about that, with trade shows, we saw pre-COVID, there was a bit of a decline in attendances at trade shows, in participation from wineries at trade shows. Everyone was a little bit tired of them. But I think because of COVID, do you think that may come back a bit because people are wanting to see people face-to-face? Yeah. I think we're definitely going to see that rubber band effect with people mm-hmm. wanting to get back to it. However, I do think your instinct, I mean, what you were noticing before, you know, those same factors of, of wineries getting a little, is this really worth it? Mm. Uh, is it, you know, and the press kind of getting a little bored of it. I think those same factors will return. I mean, my, I have not actually gone to an in-person trade event, you know, this year I've declined most of them because the same feelings that I had beforehand of this is like a cattle call, you know, you're going in, I'm not really getting much out of this. You know, I don't get much time with the producer to really talk about the wine, um, just going through sipping and spitting, sipping and spitting. And it just, it wasn't really worth my time. And I can see it not being worth a winery's time too. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Is that, you're talking about right now, Amber, are you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, again, I've not attended the ones, you know, since the COVID now, because it's just still that, that burnout, but I know that, you know, once everything settles again, I'm not, I wasn't alone in that same feeling. I've talked to other uh, wine writers and other folk, you know, buyers and stuff, you know, it's a love hate relationship with those trade events, you know, I think we've got a technical issue here, Darren. We've definitely might have, might have just lost the feed there for a moment. So we've definitely got a glitch in the matrix. We'll just see if she comes back on again. Uh, wait, okay, we, we've got you back, Amber. Okay. Good day, Amber. Welcome back. Hello. Hello. I apologize. Yeah, my yeah, I just got the your internet is unstable note. <laughs> yeah. The <laughs> UK internet has not been the most reliable. Well, there you go. So you where were, were you? Talk, um, yeah. You were talking about, um, you know, about wanting to go to trade events and not wanting to go to, to trade events. Does this does this mean that trade that people have to actually go to more trouble? They actually have to have well planned, well designed, interesting trade events rather than just racing out and hey, we can pour wine again. Let's pour some wine. Yeah, I, I think that's just going to be, we're going to see that evolution in the design. Like, I'm, I've been really intrigued to see what the line, London Wine Fair does this year. Um, you're, they were planning, you know, the hybrid event, and they actually did a really, really good virtual event during COVID. And they seem to be really, really on the game of trying to find different ways of importing, you know, bringing engagement in. Because that has always been the missing component for a lot of trade events, is that cattle call. You know, just go in and pour in wines and you're not getting that engagement with the producer. That's going to be meaningful. And wines just get lost. I, you know, as a, as a producer, I would be scared to death of going to a trade event and just knowing that I'm going to be pouring all these wines and the, the odds of somebody actually remembering my wine and it having a meaning, meaningful impact, it's almost exponential of how it decreases the more other wineries that are attending the same event. Mm. You just get lost in the crowd. Right here. Yeah. Yeah. I've got another question relating to wine having an impact. One of them is that observation that um, English wine writers in particular, but wine writers from around the globe, they've been jumping on planes. So we're seeing 
reports from Spain coming out. We're seeing reports from Portugal. We're seeing people visiting. Uh, I mean, we've got tastings in Bordeaux in the next few weeks. People are jumping on planes again. Um, yeah, I mean, I've got a like chance to go. Yeah, so, I got a chance yeah. to go to. Oh, are we still getting out? <laughs> Sorry, we're cutting out. Oh, good. Uh, no, yeah, I got a chance to go to Greece here a couple months ago, and it was just fantastic to finally get on a plane. A little nervous, of course, but to, just to get out and travel. Um, and it's, I tip my hats to the folks that are trying to get right back into their schedule. I mean, I know there's some writers like, I mean, boy, Tim Aiken, he's he's everywhere with that. And it's just like, yeah, you go for it. Um, I know I'm not that bold yet to want to keep doing and traveling the schedule that had pre-COVID. Um, but it's great. I mean, we, we do need to get back out there into the world. I mean, I love virtual events. I'm always going to support virtual events, but nothing truly matches feet on the ground, experiencing the conditions of where it's at, experiencing just the vibe of where the wine's coming from. And is there any learnings you've, you've had from the virtual events to face-to-face events now moving forward that we can transfer across? The big strength of virtual events is that you can bring people from across the globe together. So from the trade point of view, and especially education, panels, some of the most successful virtual events I saw were panels that incorporated winemakers from different areas, different regions, different countries, to bring them together to bring their insights, and that people across the globe could log in to attend. That is one of the best uses of that platform. In more intimate settings, I mean, you can have, like, when we talk about trade fairs, you know, I thought, yeah, wine, uh, Austria, um, Austrian wine, they and, and the wines of Alsace, they did some really, really good trade events, vir- completely virtual, where you had, you know, it was only 15 minutes appointments with different producers to talk about their wine. So it was a limited time because, you know, the producer had to go bang, bang, bang from all the people that clocked in appointments. But at least you got that personal engagement that you do not get in, the, in person. You're not guaranteed to get in an in-person trade event. So I thought those producers at those virtual events probably got their money's worth a lot more with being able to impact buyers and writers a lot more with their wines. So if I was doing a face-to-face event like the London Wine Fair uh, um, wine show coming up, um, is there a way that I can use some of the virtual event learnings to incorporate into that to to make my um, pitch more powerful, I guess? I think the producers that will be very successful with going back to in-person events will leverage social media yeah. as a kind of that partner with it. You know, doing Instagram lives. I mean, if you're an Australian producer that's flying all the way to London, you know, you're probably going to spend at least a day, I would say, trying to adjust to the time zone with lags. And you Aussies are pretty, pretty hardy stocks. So maybe you don't need it. Maybe you can just get right off the plane and go. But, you know, take that time just to do an IG live, you know, here I am in London, checking out the scene, checking out the restaurants, checking out the, the indies here, and just get that little bit more of that personal touch that if you do make that impression and that in-person affair and the person's going back, the writer's going back, I always go back and I start researching, you know, the wines that jumped out to me, I look at their social media, I look at their website just to get more details. And if I just saw that that producer was in London and maybe a place I recognize or don't recognize, okay, what were they doing here? And that adds a little hook that you can Absolutely. bring them in. Absolutely. And I think if that if that particular person happens to see you at the trade show as well, it's going to add more impact. Yes, because yeah, I've just seen so. on it. Yeah, that's a great idea. 
Now, you know, we speak about that, and, of course, Australians are only just starting to travel again. Do you think that we're suffering a disadvantage? I mean, I don't want to be parochial on a show called Aussie Wine Chat, even a little bit, um, but let's just talk about Australia. Um, do you think that we're at a disadvantage at the moment, just just in this couple of months that we're in now? A disadvantage with needing, needing to travel? Is that what you're yeah, asking? In terms of people not people haven't quite started. Uh, Tim Atkins certainly hasn't knocked on doors down here yet, um, mm. and certainly we're not uh, quite at the point where there's many, if any, Australians in person in the UK. Do you think that that puts us at a disadvantage at the moment in terms of impacting the wine trade? Uh, I can see where it could give you a disadvantage, but I, I will say your trade organization, Wine Australia, I think have been phenomenal with engaging folks here. I mean, regular with the newsletters, a lot of virtual events, the Wine Connect, I think is brilliant on it. I mean, you have a very, very good trade body. I, I wish in the U.S., you know, California Wines is good. The Washington Wine um, is good. Oregon Wine Board, they're, they're, they have their strengths. But there's nothing ever on that unified scale of Wine Australia to kind of keep brand Australia front and center. Um, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, it's only been recently that Australia has been opened up now for tourists yes. to visit. Yes, it's right. Yeah. So, so, yeah, so it is a little bit behind in that regard compared to other countries. But I think it's going to make up. I mean, in, here in the Northern Hemisphere, you know, we're still in winter, spring, summer, when we start to want to travel more, you guys will be raring to go. Yeah. Hey, so Amber, can you put your consumer hat on now? So you're you're an American in the UK and you're looking for Australian wines on the shelves. Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about what you're seeing out there and, and what you're noticing. Oh, God, I'm enjoying how easy it is to get Australian wine here compared to the US. It's been so fun. It really is. Um, I, for, for years in the US, you know, I see on Instagram or Twitter, you know, somebody talk about this great Australian wine they had. I would go to like Wine Searcher, you know, that's the go-to. I know uh, Pix is coming up now, but in the Wine Searcher for years. And I go and I type it in and see where in the U.S. I could buy it. Often nobody in the U.S. Okay. had it at all. Or if they did, they were a retailer in a state that wouldn't ship to my state. So I was just sorry out of luck. Now in the U.K., I do the same thing. I find an interesting wine, go to Wine Searcher. There's at least, you know, one or two producers or to be retailers in the UK that would carry that wine. And almost all of them now have completely upped their game when it comes to their online e-commerce that now I can go through, see, okay, how much do I need to buy in order to get delivery? And often I'll go there wanting one single wine, but you know, they might have a hundred pound, 150 pound delivery for free anywhere in the mainland UK. And I'll end up buying more wine. Yeah. So that retailer just had a good sale because it happened to carry one particular wine I was interested in mm. and a couple of days it gets delivered to my door and I enjoy the goodies. And you had a couple of little favorites you found, I believe. Well, from retailers, um, particularly when it comes to Australia wine, there's a retailer, uh, Venorium that is very, very good. Yes. Um, the wine society, very, very strong. Uh, their buyers are excellent. I, I, they have a new series uh, Mac Forbes does with them for blind spot. And it was just like, Oh, a red uh, Pinot Meunier. A Dolcetto. I mean, it's just, these are just really cool geeky yeah. wines that it's just a thrill to try. I mean, I, I've been really excited about the alternative varieties that are coming out of Australia 
that I know they're not the biggest volume production. So to export them, you know, that is a commitment to export those out and it is a risk. And it's, I'm really excited that here in the UK, that all you need is just basically one indie to take a chance and a risk on bringing in that alternative varietal. And I now have access of it. Well, in the US, that, that's, a, that's so much tough. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, Darren, because we're hearing a common theme, aren't we, with that sort of stuff, where, where some of the yeah. indies are, are getting behind it and um, with some of these alternatives sort of a little bit different. They've got a bit of a story to tell. So it's great to hear from a consumer point of view. It, it keeps wine exciting. Yes. You know, I, as, a, as a millennial, I hear all the time about, you know, how millennials are not adapting to wine. And, and it always just, it stunned me a bit because, you know, as a millennial, like we're, we're the foodie generation. We love trying new and different things. And so that should be right in wine's wheelhouse. But wine's just never been able to capture our interest and never been exciting. You know, we would go to a store where I used to work at in the U.S. was one of the larger uh, wine retailers, Total Wine and More. You know, we have two full aisles dedicated to nothing but Cabernet. And yes, Cabernet sells quite a bit. But it you just you see the consumer walk into the Cabernet aisle and their eyes just glaze over <laughs> because there's nothing to really indicate what's different between this three dollar Cabernet and this three hundred dollar Cabernet. Yeah. There's nothing to excite them. But yeah, they can walk over to our beer aisle and we'll, we'll have two hundred some odd SKUs of IPA beers, double IPAs, New England hazy IPAs, and they'll geek out over that. Yeah, because yeah. that captured their excitement. That cider aisle captured their excitement. The hard seltzer aisle captures their excitement. It's been t- it's been tough for wine. Yes, I mean one of the neat things about the UK is there's so many differentiated merchants over there. So it does create opportunities as well because there's people buying different things. Just as an aside, Simon, nice piece of cyber stalking on Amber there too. Well done. There you go. Thanks, Darren. <laughs> Hey, speaking of cyber, Amber, I've really been enjoying Elevage Wine Coaching. So why don't you tell us a bit about what made you do that and, you know, what made you do it differently? How how come you've made geeking out on wine fun? Well, I'm a wine geek. That's true and true to the core. I'm always a wine geek. Um, And during COVID, I was working on my WSET diploma which WSET Diploma, even in the best of times, is, is a huge challenge. Um, it's, there's a lot of knowledge that you need to absorb and, and be able to present, and especially now in the new format with exams, with essay questions and clarify your thoughts. It's not just regurgitating a checklist of facts, that everything you memorized about the Northern Rhone. Um, and so when COVID happened and classes shut off, everybody's locked in their home, you know, it's really easy to just kind of drown and your, your misery of trying, like, oh, I will never learn enough. I'll never remember this enough. I can't memorize the Oxford Companion to Wine. And so I happened to get lucky and stumble upon a Facebook group where people were looking for an online study group to take advantage of this newfangled Zoom thing that everybody was doing. And so came across a great group of people. There's about nine of us there and from different parts of the globe. You know, we had somebody in Hong Kong. We had somebody in Greece, U.S., U.K., uh, France. And that's what we spent the next year was studying for our exams together with weekly online meetings. And that support was so valuable on that. We were just so cut off. And as I was getting into the virtual wine event scene, it's like, why can't we do this more with wine education? 
And when you go online, I mean, there's a lot of schools that that convert it to online learning, and there's a lot of software that's for that that is expecting you to have 500 students on it. There's nothing really right now for small one-on-one coaching outside of leveraging Zoom. And so we wanted to try to do something on that. Right now we are utilizing Zoom behind the scenes, having some ideals for different platforms to work to bring wine education a little bit more accessible. Because you think of the cost involved when you're studying for anything, any type of certification. Absolutely. It can get up there. And if we can leverage these tools to make it more affordable and more accessible wherever you are, that's what we're shooting for. And so we utilize Instagram quite a bit, IG stories, a lot of different games. And then we have our private coachings that we do through the site. So Darren, are you part of Elevage? Is that is that why you know a bit about it? Is that right? No, no. The reason I know Elevage is um, because Amber's a mate and I follow her on Twitter. Yes. And she put up some great stuff about these quizzes. And I was doing my was it three at the time. So for some we, none of us quite know why Darren's decided to go and do wine study at his advanced age um, and decaying um, capability. But, and, and I don't really do Instagram all that much except for about a week every Christmas. But I go on Instagram every now a couple of times a week and I flick through to see if there's an Elevage wine coaching uh, thing. And there's a quiz there and it's just good fun. It's it's just really enjoyable to have a crack and, and see if you can get it. And the beauty of it is if you if you do get a bit interested, they do let you cheat. So you don't have to go. It's not like Wordle. Right? <laughs> Your old favourite Wordle. <laughs> <laughs> You're allowed to cheat. So, so you actually go in there and say, okay, well, now I'm curious. I mean, you know, some obscure Austrian grape variety that grows in three hectares of land on a, on a southeast-facing slope, and now I have to know what it is. Um, so it's it, it just fun. And so I really enjoyed that. And there seems to be a small group of people that are getting a lot out of that. And yeah, so that's how I got into it. And, of course, I'm stupid enough to be doing a diploma this year myself. So Elevage Wine Coaching is on my list of people to be involved with. See, it's not cheating, though, if you're learning something new. That's the whole goal. Oh, uh, I mean, we- Instagram offers a lot of fun platforms and we've been playing a lot around with the story. So what you're referring to is our mystery grape game that we do Tuesdays and Thursdays. Um, there's all these fun pictures on Instagram and it's really easy to share through stories, give credit to the you know original picture. And I will come up with my tasting notes for a while. On Tuesdays, I try to go the geeky, obscure varieties like that. And then do about six clues of the tasting note and then other clues that are context clues, something about this grape variety, something to give you a hint about it. And you can use those clues to Google and find the answer. Some folks are, you know, wicked smart and can get it right off the bat. Thursdays, I do more of the classic varieties and blind tasting. So I give you full dry notes of acidity and tannins. Because if you're studying for a blind tasting exam, you know, knowing a little bit in the theory in the back of your mind that this should be a high acid grape or this is a low tannin wine, I can help you pinpoint it. And so you just go through those 10 clues in the stories. They disappear in 24 hours. And then we do a recap afterwards of, you know, shout outs to the folks that got it and some learning behind, you know, why is this grape worth learning about when you're blind tasting? Um, I follow that up with doing IG live to kind of explain the blind tasting clues and like 
what does this tell you about the climate that it's growing in? What does this tell you about the winemaking and how you can interpret those clues in the glass? And so we're just tying in this pretty much free platform with Instagram in order to bring some more learning. So it's Elevage Wine Coaching, one word. Yes. Yep. yep. Good. I've just stalked it, Darren. <laughs> I'm following oh, you. Well, <laughs> I tell you, Thursdays are fun because you, you can usually figure that one out without going into any research. So it's a bit of a challenge to, to get that one right first pop. And then Tuesdays, if you've got the time, it's uh, it's a it's a bit of fun to try and work this one out. So, yeah, but I think, you know, what you're doing and, and where you're going with the coaching um, is amazing. And Simon, I think we'll have to keep an eye on Amber again on that because there's a lot of coaching of wine companies in our future, not wine students, but of wine companies. And one of the reasons we do this podcast, Amber, is it's a great way to catch up with some really interesting people around the world. And it's good research on what's happening in the wine world for us. Well, I'll tell you, you'll need to bring my partner, Noelle, in. Um, she's, I could not do this without her. She's on the West Coast of the U.S. And so it allows us with the different time zones to be able to coach and be available for everybody, just pretty much anywhere on the globe. She also does a really great game, too, on our site uh, on Find Me Fridays, which are more about locating wine regions on that. Feel free to treat if you want with those, but it's all about learning. Um, and she also brings a lot of the uh, personal touch. Because when it comes to studying for exams, it stresses you out. <laughs> it stresses everybody out. We're all in the same boat. Um, she's an MW student, so she very much knows what you're feeling and all that stress and anxiety. And I like her Motivation Monday post, which helps talk people off ledges. That, that's her job. She helps talk people off the ledge. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to have a chat to her in a month or so. We, we're spending a bit of time in the UK and, and uh, Western Europe this month. So we're going to have to toddle off to another continent next month, um, Simon. Yes, we will. That sounds interesting. I, I reckon that's been one of the tightest shows we've ever done. And I think it's been interesting that we should perhaps right. yeah. stop here. So stop while we're going well. Well, thank you very much, Amber. Really appreciate your time. It's always a pleasure talking to you and, um, and always a lot of fun and, yeah, super interesting. Thank you guys very much for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining us again for Aussie Wine Chat. I'm Darren Oemke. You can find me on hydroconsulting.com.au and on Twitter at Darren Oemke. And I'm Simon West. You can find me at fullglass.com.au.